Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technology with support from USDA Rural Business Cooperative. So this is Luke Freeman. I'm here at the Our Farms, Our Future conference in St. Louis. It's been a fantastic conference, and I ran into a, a friend of mine from Missouri, Hannah Himmelgarten, who's the Education Programs Coordinator for the Missouri Center for Agroforestry. And so we're going to sit down and have a conversation about agroforestry, and hopefully you'll learn something from this. So, hey, Hannah, welcome to Hi, the Natural Podcast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> So uh, for our listeners, can you just give a basic overview of what agroforestry is? Oh, yeah, I'd be happy to. So agroforestry, um, often people have maybe heard of the terms agroecology or permaculture, and agroforestry is very much related to those, um, but is its own unique uh, set of practices. So temperate agroforestry um, is recognized by the USDA as five practices, forest farming, alley cropping, silvopasture, windbreaks, and riparian forest buffers. Um, And sometimes also special applications like biomass and urban food forests. Um, Tropical agroforestry is a a totally uh, separate beast, a a wonderful beast that's been around for for a lot longer than temperate agroforestry, but uh, we really focus on the temperate agroforestry practices. Okay. And you you talked about some other terms that might be unfamiliar to our listeners. For example, silvopasture. Can you talk more about what that is? Yeah. Um, So silvopasture, think of those the two roots in that word silvo, um, coming from silviculture. So essentially forestry, forest management, um, the growth of trees, um, combined with pasture, the grazing of animals. So silvopasture is the grazing of animals in trees systems. Um, So this can uh, happen if you decide that you want to add trees to an open pasture existing, um, or you can take an existing woodlot and uh, improve it by um, clearing out and establishing forages in that that tree system. And it really requires, as does all of the agroforestry practices, really careful management, intensive intentional management um, and planning. So that's really what we try to offer to landowners that are interested in doing agroforestry because you can absolutely do it wrong. And silvopasture is probably the most controversial of the agroforestry practices hmm. because um, it's it's really important that we're not telling people to just release their animals in the woods. That's not healthy for the animals or the trees or the potential forage. Um, so it really does require careful thought and and uh, consultation and collaboration with farmers that are doing it and have been doing it successfully. Okay. So if I were, a, let's say, cattle rancher, um, how, how would I get started in silvopasture? And also... You know, what would those economic benefits be? You know, why would I even think about, you know, taking the effort of planting trees in my pasture if it seems like the cows are doing just fine? Sure. That's a great question. I think, again, for any of the agroforestry practices, um, when people think about, well, why would I want to plant trees in the first place? It takes a long time, potentially, before you get a crop. Um, or, or a timber harvest, whatever it is that you're seeking from those trees. There's also, of course, the aesthetic yield. Um, and, and working in shade, I find to be much nicer than working in a hot sun, True. Um, as do animals. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's really one of the first things that I think of, um, the health benefits to the animals, 
directly translate into um, the the price point that you're getting and the um, they're heavier wean weights and the animals are feeding more consistently they're more comfortable so they're gaining weight um, there are a lot of benefits that have been uh, shown in research that's been done on silvopasture um, and yet that is still limited and we're always looking for more research and more farmers to share their experiences mm-hmm. so does that answer your question oh yeah definitely and <clears throat> are there certain tree species that yeah. are you know most adapted to missouri arkansas you know sure. this area of the mid-south yeah yeah in missouri uh, we often share um, about pecan or black walnut being great tree species for silvopasture because um, they allow enough light to come through the leaves that uh, a forage can still thrive um, for the cattle. Okay. So that's very important. Um, honey locust is another that is hmm. considered, you, in addition to um, those great big thorns <laughs> that people love. Yeah, so that's actually a young tree trait. Uh-huh. Um, and if you graft a mature honey locust scion wood onto those trees, you can have thornless honey locust. And then in addition to the honey locust tree shade, you also have the pods that can be fodder. Okay. Um, And they're high in protein, right? Um, Pods? Gosh, I don't know that I can speak to that. Okay. Um, There's a a research scientist at Virginia Tech, uh, Gabe Pent, who's been doing some research on Mm. this. And I I believe he's been working with goats and sheep primarily. Okay. And they, they are all about those locust pods. I can see that. Yeah. And it's it's actually um so if if you know the locust pod, you know, it's got uh variable sized little beans inside that pod. Mm-hmm. But it's actually the sticky sugars that are uh, that are inside the pod with those beans, uh bean the seeds. Yeah. And um and that's what's digestible. That's that's what the animals are really getting. Everything else that is coming out the other end. Really? Yeah. Even the beans, they're not really digesting that, those seeds in the pod. It, so they, so um, if, if I understand it right, um, when they come out the other end, they're able to then sprout, which oh, is okay. another issue because then you're potentially having sprouting honey locusts Planting everywhere. Honey but locusts. Yeah. if you are, are doing your grazing management in a way that um, accommodates that, the goats and sheep are, are all about eating those, those mm-hmm. sprouts. So that is not necessarily an issue. Yeah, But cool. we need more people to experiment with this stuff to keep learning to see what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with the tree species like pecan, you know, it takes a while for pecan to actually get mature enough to bear. Right. But once it does start bearing, there's another, you know, cash crop there from your pasture. Yeah. If you're managing it for pecan harvest. So yeah, definitely. double cropping there. Uh-huh. That's cool. Um, <clears throat> yeah, another practice I wanted to talk about is alley cropping, mm-hmm. um, which for me, you know, seems especially relevant if, you know, you're you're starting to plant an orchard, you know, maybe you're wanting to get an orchard established um, or, you know, even a woodlot established and you're thinking, you know, what can I do with this <clears throat> land, you know, in the short term, right. in, in the, you know, next three years or so, um, you know, while these these little sapling trees are growing, um, you know, what kind of systems have you seen to be successful in terms of cash crops to integrate in an alley cropping system that yeah. are suited? Yeah, well, I'll use this opportunity to also plug our one-week intensive agroforestry academy because during that week, which is uh, usually the last week of July, and we have scholarships this year for um, any underserved populations, 
Um, so the, uh, during that week, we visit farms around the center part of the state in Missouri. And one of the farms we visit is um, Stouffer Farms, Bill Stouffer. Hmm. Uh, he has been growing chestnuts between alleys of winter wheat. Um, when okay. he first planted those trees, and those are grafted chestnuts is what we use in, in this part of the country um, that produce uh, most in the shortest amount of time. Um, but uh, when he first planted them, he was growing pumpkins hmm. between, and then he transitioned to okay. winter wheat. And now he's actually transitioning to just hang between those rows of trees because the trees are producing, they're mature enough now, they're producing a large enough um, nut crop that he can get by just on that nut crop. He's also growing elderberries now. He's a, okay. he's a great champion of agroforestry. Very cool. What's the row spacing on those chestnuts? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I am not sure. But I think it's... a lot of that probably has to do with the size of his machinery. Right, because I'm thinking if he's hanging, it needs to be yeah, wide enough to get the yeah. tractor and the baler through. And there are different options for, um, like you could do a standard, you know, 15, 20 foot spacing mm-hmm. to start out with. But then at some point you'll want to thin those trees so that it's, for chestnuts in particular, it's really important that they have um, sun accessing all sides of the tree canopy for the nuts to develop properly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just something to consider. Mm-hmm. With, with the spacing. Yeah. And as you mentioned here, I mean, it sounds like that annual crop that's chosen, it'll change year to year depending on the maturity of the tree crop mm-hmm. from crops that need full sun to crops that can tolerate a little bit of shade as those right. trees grow and right. develop. And I know the winter wheat has been working out really well for him um, because the timing of harvest um, is right before the chestnuts start to drop out of their, their spiky holes on the tree. Mm. Okay. So then um, he's got a clean yeah. floor to, to pick up the chestnuts. And he, I think, is still using the, the hand pickup method with what's called a ch- um, nut wizard. Okay. So it's like a what's bingo like? cage on the end of a broomstick. Uh, okay. Like <laughs> you I've just roll that. it along and the chestnuts <laughs> pop in. Um, but there are options for, I'm trying to remember how many acres he's got. I'm impressed that he's still doing this at his age manually he and his wife both mm. are, are picking them up and they're doing fine but at some point they might want to to uh, transition to a mechanized mm-hmm. well, cool well, let's talk a little bit more about chestnuts because i think that's probably a a tree crop that most of our listeners aren't familiar with mm. and you know every time i think of chestnuts i think back to being a student at university of missouri and columbia and every winter they do the chestnut roast yeah, that's on broadway events. And you could just smell those chestnuts yeah. all the way along Broadway. Um, they were delicious. Um, but it's, it's crop. I didn't, I didn't grow up eating chestnuts. Wasn't that familiar with chestnuts. So talk, talk more about chestnuts. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're not doing the chestnut roast downtown anymore. Oh, okay. But we do a chestnut roast at one of the research center farms, okay. the Horticulture and Agroforestry Research Center in New Franklin. So for anyone okay. that's in Missouri... You might want to come. Uh, it's the first Saturday in October is the Chestnut Roast, and we offer tours of that research center um, so you can see all of the different research projects that are going on there um, and learn a whole lot more about agroforestry and, and learn from some of the vendors, agroforestry vendors that are there. So chestnuts, um, I, I'm really excited about urban agroforestry, so I've mm. sort of sworn off chestnuts. Oh, really? <laughs> I love chestnuts. Um, they're but not just, suited to the so, urban environment. Yeah, I don't think they are. It may be in some context, but um, they have, as I mentioned, these really spiky holes that the nuts are inside. And um, 
the, the trees that we're working with are Chinese chestnuts, um, sometimes European chestnuts, the American chestnut. Um, there are people who are working on breeding the American chestnut to also come back and we can use that as a crop, but uh, the Chinese chestnuts have been working really well for us. And, um, and Mike Gold, as I mentioned, has been doing a lot of the, the breeding work um, to see what, what are the cultivars that will be the best bets for farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that chestnut hole, so the, the nuts drop out of the hole and fall to the ground, and that's when you pick them up. So you don't have to worry too much about the spiky holes when you're harvesting, but later on in the year, like as a backyard tree, probably not the best option if you like walking around barefoot in your yard. <laughs> oh, okay. um, otherwise, chestnut is wonderful. So the, the thing that I think is uh, really cool about chestnut is um, compared to some of our other nut trees in this area, like pecan and black walnut, that are also great. I love those trees too. But um, they have a, a really small nut to shell ratio. Hmm. Um, the chestnut, however, is like all nut. It's a, a great big nut that's like the size of a golf ball um, that has a thin shell around the outside. And then that's there are usually three of those nuts within that larger spiky hole. Hmm. Um, and they are a really high starch nut, so they're not that they're not a high oil nut like a lot of the nuts we think of. They're the unnut. They're more like a potato, mm-hmm. like a sweet potato. Mm. They're delicious mm-hmm. um, and and really great nutritionally. Um, but they also because they're not as high oil, they don't store as well, so they have to stay either frozen or refrigerated immediately okay. from harvest time. Um, so there are some challenges there, but also great opportunities. The market for chestnuts is much, much larger than the supply in the U.S. Most chestnuts that are eaten in this country are imported imported from, from China, I believe. Okay. So. I see. Cool. China and Europe. Okay. Yeah. And then you mentioned your interest is, is more in, you know, urban applications yeah. of agroforestry, right? So. What kind of agroforestry applications would apply in an urban setting? Yeah, well, so my my background in permaculture really lends well to this for Uh this sort of small-scale, intensive, um, and intentionally designed systems. And I think that can be true for the larger systems, too. But um, I think about using a lot of native plants and the need for more native plants in urban environments and how our our urban uh, growth has continued in this country and and so utilizing that land space i think it's it's time to start doing that and um uh for the same conservation goals that we have for rural areas and urban areas um providing space for pollinators to get by and also for humans to have a food crop you know a lot of urban areas have Mm -hmm. food deserts um, and if people don't have access to healthy food, what better way to use a vacant lot than to be growing native edible crops like mm-hmm. aronia and juneberry and elderberry and pawpaw, pecan, persimmon. The list really goes on and on. That's just the woody perennial crops, uh-huh. you know, not to mention all the herb- herbaceous right. um, plants that are, that are edible and medicinal. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And mushrooms. I've been really getting into (laughs) (laughs) mushroom cultivation. Yeah. And so forest farming is one of those other agroforestry practices and uh, generally including mushrooms and medicinal plants. Yeah. Um, Which would be an understory crop. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. In a shady wooded area. Mm -hmm. And um, you can grow log 
grown mushrooms. You can grow mushrooms in mulch beds in your garden. So mm-hmm. there are lots of options for mushroom cultivation in a small space and in a relatively short period of time. So you don't necessarily have to wait 20 years before you're getting a crop. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. There's just so much in the world of agroforestry. And, you know, we should probably be wrapping up this interview, but... <laughs> Um, do you want to just tell our listeners where they can go if, if this has really piqued their interest and they want to learn more about agroforestry? Absolutely. What are some resources? Yeah, so our website is centerforagroforestry.org. Um, the National Agroforestry Center is part of USDA. They're also a great resource and they have a web presence. Um, yeah, there, there's just so much out there. And um, all of our contact information with the Center for Agroforestry is on our website. So if you can get to that website, centerforagroforestry.org, then you can find out about a lot of the events that we put on. Um, and, and just reach out if you're far away. Uh, don't hesitate to call or email us, and we'd be happy to help and learn from you. Awesome. So, yeah. Thanks so much, Hannah. Yeah. It's great nice interview. Talking great with you, talking Luke. with you. <laughs> you can find other episodes of ATRA, Voices from the Field, along with ATRA's other sustainable agriculture resources at www.atra.ncat.org. That's www.attra.ncat.org.